This sermon, Uncleanness Yet Blessing, was preached by Tim Lambros on Sunday, October 10th, 2021 at Sovereign Grace Church. We opened up today with the idea of exalting you. We opened up today with thoughts from what we heard last week about our greater glory. And yet we know from what we've been studying that it's so easy to be distracted. It's so easy to uh, misplace priorities and put what we think is important to us in the horizontal front and center versus the vertical, what you're doing, your mission, your purposes. And so I pray as we open up this book again that you would bring to mind that dynamic in us, that apart from your spirit, we would always be distracted. Those times that we can become focused are because of your spirit. And so, Lord, help us even today as we open up this word again. Intend upon these words in the preached message, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to look at chapter 2, verses 1 uh, through 10, 10 through 19. So let's stand. I want to read that now. We're in the book of Haggai. If this is the first message you've been, we've had two prior to this, one more. So this will be the third, and I'm going to cover chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. Verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands and what they offer there is unclean. Now then, Consider from this day onward. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord." Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. Let's take our seats. I'll pray one more time. Lord, we're more like the people in Haggai than we want to admit, but we thank God, we thank you that you have the Spirit in us, you have the Spirit among us. Help us to be fertile soil for this word to land upon. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
it was a little over 25 years ago, and we were part of a church. Um, we had been there a number of years, and um, this church traditionally had a Sunday night service. So we had Wednesday night Bible study, Sunday morning corporate worship, and then Sunday night uh, smaller service. And for a while, as a church, we got rid of the Sunday night service. And then uh, a number of years later, there was going to be the Sunday night ministries occur. It's a big push, and um, they asked us all to come back on a Sunday night. And when you looked in the lobby, if this were the church, you saw all sorts of tables set up. And what they were going to do, it wasn't necessarily like they were launching small groups, but they were just going to launch some Sunday night ministries. So there was this table if you wanted to study parenting, and another table if you wanted to study a book of the Bible, and another table if you wanted to study marriage, and another table if you wanted to do a book study. And there's all these ways to kind of get involved in a little more discipleship and stuff. And as I look back, and if you've ever been in a Baptist church, you know they have ministry fairs every September, uh, very common to see all the ministries of the church laid out. But from my experience and from what I've heard, you never see this table, the ministry of correction. Come learn how to correct people. <laughs> you never see that. <laughs> you never see that. And yet, we're studying a prophet. A major part of the Old Testament prophet's roles were to bring correction to the people of God. I don't know that we've paused in this series to, to, to realize that this is a very unusual experience for a prophet. Why? Well, because we saw in chat, at the end of chapter 1, the people repented, the people were stirred, the people responded. There's transformation going on. God is uh, working in his people. It's a new day. They were rebuked, they were corrected, and yet they responded, and Haggai wasn't killed. I mean, a lot of prophets faced hostility and difficulty and, and, and non-repentance and cold hearts, and some were even killed. Very different perspective uh, in this particular uh, season of the life of Israel. And so we want to celebrate that. Part, part of my goal today is to take us back into this time, to try, to try to be boots on the ground and see what it's like to be in this time but here's what we're going to learn. Very simple. God's unclean people get God's undeserving blessing. God's unclean people get God's undeserving blessing. That sounds like us, doesn't it? There's a lot more in here, <laughs> like Haggai, that we can relate to. So I want to take us back to try to get into this scenario. This is 2,500 years ago, as best we can and then we'll draw a couple of points and a couple ways to apply. Two points. The first one, God's loving rebuke to unclean sinners. God's loving rebuke to unclean sinners. This obviously comes through the prophet Haggai. And God is trying to bring his people to the right place. And we saw in chapter 1 that they did respond. But look at verse 10. Haggai is very specific. On the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet. This would be December the 18th on our calendar. It's wonderful in God's word when you can pound a stake in that. We know when this happened. 
And then look at verses 11 and 12. I'll read them in just a moment, but uh, let's just remember that uh, he is a prophet. He carries an office. He carries authority. He's vested with God's word. But he's about to do something very interesting that you don't see too often. So look at verses 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priest about the law. This is an interesting little nuance. Haggai comes with a word, thus says the Lord, but he recognizes the priests have a role. They're the authorities on protecting the law and interpreting the law and living out the law. So he's going to submit these questions to the priest as part of the word from the Lord. Just an interesting little nuance to this particular prophet. Ask the priest about the law, and then he starts with the questions. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches his fold, uh, bread or stew, Uh, uh, and touches the fold of his garment. Uh, Let's back up here. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food, does it become holy? In other words, if I've got consecrated meat done ritually according to the law and it touches something else, is it contagious? Can 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 that unclean meat make something else unclean? The prophets say no. Then he asks the question a different way. If someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, any of these food garments and so, uh, food items and so forth, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. So now we have interpretation from the authorities, the priest, that yes, when you... Uh, have something that's unclean and it touches, it cannot spread, it cannot be contagious. And yet, if you're unclean, you can make other things unclean. So let's just pause here for a moment. This is interesting to me. Because if you look up, uh, uh, classical education people will love this. If you look up Socrates and the Socratic method of education, he's born just like 30 years later after these events. And, and that Socratic method is learning by asking questions and, 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 and uh, drawing out and leading people through a questioning technique. And here, Haggai's taking a page out of the Socrates book, and Socrates isn't even born yet. But this is a very effective way, because look what he does now when he turns the corner. So, so far he's established that unclean can spread, clean can't. Unclean can, can, can contaminate others, clean items that are sacrificially clean according to the law. We have the word now, we have the ruling, we have a legal brief now from the priest. Now look at verse 14 when he switches gears a little bit. Then Haggai answered and said, so it is with this people and with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands. He's talking about prior to their repentance And what they offer there is unclean. And then three times he's going to say this. Here's the first one. Now then, consider from this day onward. What's Haggai calling for? Now then, have a new perspective. Now then, think differently. Now consider this as a word from the Lord. Let this transform your thinking that you've been doing on your 
own. And he goes on with the questions. Before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? Contemporarily, what do we do? Someone has an idea, you know it's not going to work, it falls apart, and what do you say? How'd that work out for you? That's basically what Haggai's doing. How did you fare? When you didn't make God's priorities your priorities, when you were building your panel van, your panel vans, your pan, when you were paneling your homes instead of paying attention to the temple, the very place God's presence resides, how'd, how'd that work out for you? He's drawing attention through questions to what they were walking through before he, they were stirred up, as we saw in chapter one, before they repented and turned from their sins. Peter Verhoff says it real st- plainly in one sentence. Salvation and blessings can only be expected when the Lord receives and retains the place of honor in the midst of the people. That's the lesson God was using Haggai to teach them. And so he says, now consider, last time you heard from me, your unfruitfulness. Consider what was going on. And then these examples, back in verse 16. When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. You had hopes of a great harvest, but you experienced unfruitfulness When one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. And then this revelation. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and mildew and with hell, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. God is reminding them of where they once were. So when these consider nows came, they can start thinking about where he's going to Take them. Before we move forward, like we heard last week, let's look back and remember what life was like. I used the elements of weather, I used very natural means to strike you, Haggai is saying. Why? Well, you didn't turn from me when you experienced this unfruitfulness with your hands. Your hands were unclean. If you dig deeper into this study, what happens is the Lord is regarding the temple in ruins as a corpse. And Israel's trying to go there and garner favor with God to get blessing on their homes and on their farms and so forth. And yet this temple is not rebuilt. And because they have contact with a dead temple, everything they do is unclean. They are unclean before the Lord. No matter how many sacrifices they make, they are not acceptable to the Lord because his temple is like a dead person and they touch it and they are unclean. That's where the imagery goes. So consider now. What do they need to consider? Well, in our language, we would say we are sinners in need of God's grace. In their language, they are unclean and everything they put their hands to is unclean. The picture here, uh, Haggai would have been on these temple grounds because, you know, they had started it and then they got distracted. And the picture here is uh, 
Uh, I don't know if you can find uh, on Google or anywhere where the uh, breaking of the ground kind of ceremonies started. You know, in, in, on the news sometimes you'll see guys coat and tie doing the first shovel or they'll have big scissors and they're going to cut some ribbons or whatever. But essentially that's what God was creating here when, 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 when formerly they were unfruitful, formerly they were uh, unclean, but now they're about to experience God's blessing because they repented of it. This was like a groundbreaking ceremony that we're talking about here in the life of Israel. When I was thinking about looking back, uh, trying to picture myself there, uh, I thought of Thomas Chalmers' famous sermon, the title, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. That, that phrase says so much. Think about you and I. Think about Israel. They're back from Babylon. The temple is in ruins. They've got work to do. we got to some shelter and food and we need water and so forth and so on. What are you going to give your life to? What are you going to give your priorities to? And they gave themselves to taking care of themselves and leaving God's house in shambles. And they needed a new perspective. They needed a new transforming experience. They needed a new affection, something else that they loved and worshiped and wanted to give their time to. And so God struck them with the work of their hands, they did not repent. God brought Haggai with the word, and they did repent. That's what's going on when they look back. And just to pause there for a moment, isn't that just like us? We get busy with life. The, the, the one question you could lay over this message is, how are you passing the test of prosperity? When you hear about our partners and our Church planting people go to very poor places like Africa and Brazil and Bolivia. There's not a lot of distraction there. They want to meet with the church. They want to do mission. They want to be busy about God's work. It's different for us. We have a lot of distractions that can take us away from staying focused on God's work. So like the people in Haggai's day, we need correction like the people in Haggai's day, we're unclean. We're sinners in need of God's grace. We are easily distracted. We, we easily drift from being focused on what God would have us. And yet, despite that, God blesses us. And we're about to see the blessing that God brings to Israel. Second point, God's blessing to undeserving people. God's blessing to undeserving people. Look at verse 18 with me. Consider from this day forward. That's the second one. Consider from this day forward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider from the day that you made God's purposes a priority, getting this temple rebuilt, is the seed yet in the barn? That's a little play on words, but he's saying, did you plant all the seed? Because you're going to get blessed. You didn't hold any back, did you? If it's still in the barn, you blew it. 
Is there still seed in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig, and the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. You can say in parentheses, yet. But from this day on, I will bless you. Imagine having the Lord speak that in your life. Look back. You were unclean. You were distracted. You didn't make God's priorities your priorities. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Oh, I just love that word, but. But from this day on, I will bless you. That phrase dominates this whole uh, word from Haggai, this whole section of his prophecy. But what's he getting after here? What's, what's God getting after here? What does he mean? I will bless you. That's a pretty vague, so you go from, you're hoping for 50 measures and you got 20, you're going to get 25 measures? Well, that would be a blessing. No, no, no. The Lord has much to show Israel that we are aware of. But think about God's activity here. This is where we can very much relate to Israel. God strikes them. They're unfruitful in their labors as they make their priorities the most important thing. There's no repentance. God sends a word and they repent. Clearly, they are sinners in needs of God's grace. And like us, they deserve God's departure. They deserve toil and labor and difficulty. But they're going to get this blessing. And here's a window into how we can understand what this blessing is. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 9, The word there says, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of of hosts. The latter glory of this temple will be greater than the former. Now, the former glory was pretty amazing. If you've never done a study on Solomon's temple, you should go and study it. Gold laid everything. I mean, it was impressive. It would have been fun to see. When they first had their, their, their first ceremony, the Shekinah glory of God showed up so intensely they had to get outside of the temple. This was an amazing thing. And just a little side note, most of you I think probably know this, but whether it was the ark and the tent or Solomon's temple, it was in the middle of the community. There were three tribes Uh, to the north, three tribes to the east, three tribes to the west, and three tribes to the south. It was at the center of Israel. And it was meant to communicate God is at the center of God's people's lives. His presence is the most important thing. That's why Moses very wisely argued with God, if your presence doesn't go with us, how will we be distinct Israel was, had the only God that resided with them at the temple. So what is then the latter glory? This temple was demolished. Israel was gone for 70 years. This is just the first remnant that came back to rebuild the temple. What is this latter glory? Well, in a typical prophetic telescoping way, First and foremost, the temple would be rebuilt. It wouldn't be as glorious as Solomon's temple, but for Israel, they would have temple life. 
God's presence would be there. Their sacrifices would be acceptable. This was what they knew. This was the life they lived. The priests, the whole tribe did all of the work of the ministry. And people came and they had their sins covered. This was an important piece of life in Israel that God's presence was there. You approached it very carefully. You did not go cavalier. You were not casual. But God's presence was in the midst of the camp, so to speak. So the temple would be rebuilt. That is a blessing. They got the temple rebuilt. Unfortunately, in God's economy, they would have the temple rebuilt, but God would not send the messenger, a prophet, for hundreds of years. They wouldn't hear from God, and I'm sure many generations wondered, what is going on? But to some degree, you could say the blessing that God talked about through Haggai was the fact they would get the temple rebuilt, they would get back to life as the people of God. But the latter glory goes beyond the four or 500 years to Jesus. Secondly, the latter glory, this blessing that was promised, speaks of Jesus coming in the flesh. We sing it at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. So much of this temple life has to do with the presence of God. And now God comes fully God and fully man. Israel never would have been able to see this blessing. But John records very early in his gospel, chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And, of course, all the locals knew that Herod had spent 46 years building that temple to a pretty impressive-looking temple. And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up. Jesus speaking of himself as the new temple. Jesus speaking of himself as the one that would fulfill all the temple theology of the people of God for 2,000 years because what Israel didn't get was the temple was meant to be a means to an end. Yes, Solomon's temple was glorious. Yes, the rebuilt temple wasn't as glorious. But that was meant to be a means to have God's presence in their midst. No other God could do that. Because Israel and we serve a living God. And so there's a whole thread of God's presence. The temple really was just a hint, a shadow, a pointer to the living Jesus Christ. So Jesus is that latter glory. Jesus is now the temple. In the plan of God, it was never going to be a geopolitical, physical building for all of God's redemptive work in this world. No, that was just a pointer. Jesus is now the temple. Israel would have had no way of understanding this 500 years ahead of Jesus coming in the flesh. But thirdly, thirdly, the latter glory, this blessing, 
is that because Christ died on a cross, because Christ was the temple and God crushed him when he rose from the dead, now those that would put their trust in Jesus Christ would have the temple within. Jesus would send his spirit to reside in every believer. That's mind-boggling for an Israelite that never could have handled that. (laughs) Wait a minute. Solomon's temple, the rebuilt temple, but now the Spirit's going to, God's presence now is going to reside in me. That's mind-boggling stuff to the Old Testament saint. That's why Jesus would speak in terms of a new and better covenant. A new and better covenant. Covenants. John, later in chapter 14, verse 23, would say, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Now get this. And we will come to him and make our home with him. What a promise. The latter glory is that you and I can have our Savior by the Spirit reside in us. That is mind-boggling. But it has some implications. But it's not meant to be an existential experience. It's meant to be a community experience. Because God's spirit is in each of his believers, when the believers gather, there's a unique setting there called the church. Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Paul probably gives the, the, the best one verse explanation of this, chapter 2, verse 18. I want you to see that. This is a great study. We won't have time to go too far into this, but I just want to expose you to this. Notice some key words here, all right? Ephesians chapter 2, starting in 18. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Access presence, just like temple life. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, listen, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being what? The cornerstone, building language. They would have got this. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Key language, access to the Father, built on a foundation, Christ Jesus the cornerstone, the whole structure of the church being built up that grows into a holy temple, a unique place for the dwelling place of God. That's latter glory prophesied by Haggai. That is the blessing that Haggai speaks about. Jesus would come in the flesh. He would die. He would die an ugly death. He would die a horrible death. But he was innocent. 
and he would be raised up and he would ascend and he would send his spirit to do what happened here, to transform people into his children and then reside with them and build each of these children into a structure, the church, a holy temple, a unique place where God resides. I remember being in charismatic churches and they would always brag about, oh, you gotta go to the 1040, you gotta see what God is doing. You gotta see where God is at. And yeah, to some degree, you see some great things out there in the mission field, but when I read scriptures like that, it's like, no, God's building a holy temple in every church. There's a unique structure that God is building that is the greater glory, the latter glory of the old temple life. That should capture our attention. So a couple takeaways here. The obvious one is, do I see and value the church as an expression of God's latter glory? Do I see and value the church with all of its warts, with all of its imperfect people? Do I value that? Do I see that as God's priority so it's my priority? Easy takeaway. And not so obvious is this one. Is my life characterized by spiritual sacrifices? Because although in one sense the sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ, there's a New Testament expression of the sacrificial system. Did you know that? Peter, go look at this a little closer this week. I'll just read it to you. He gets at this, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. As you come to him, believers, a living stone, Rick stole my thunder this morning, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. What for? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Do we offer spiritual sacrifices in the vein of the Old Testament, hoping we'll be okay with God? No. The new and better covenant, we are justified at one point in time. There's an objective event that happens with every New Testament believer. No, no, no. Our spiritual sacrifices are way different. Similar, but way different. An expression of the Old Testament sacrificial life, but way different because we're already accepted in Christ. Because the gospel has come and saved us. So when Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, present your life as a spiritual sacrifice, that's your worship. That's your response to God's activity, to God's word. When Paul would write in Philippians 4, 18, that the gift, the giving that he received was a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Hebrews, tons of sacrificial language, but in chapter 13, 15, and 16, go read these this week. Through Christ, let us continually offer up praise to God. So your gifts, your serving, your praise, your giving are the living sacrifices of Romans 1 and 12 for this unique structure called the church. 
That's our New Testament expression of temple life, you could say. That's our New Testament expression of being fully justified now, okay with God, accepted with God, a new identity in Christ, but now, but now we live a life of sacrifice. We don't live a life of misplaced priorities like what happened here in Haggai's world. No, we are unclean. We are unclean sinners just like this group, this remnant from Babylon. We are not only unclean, we're easily distracted. And we have the Spirit of God in us. They don't. We're easily distracted. We drift. We're not a lot different. And we're especially not a lot different because we're blessed. We're blessed as new and better covenant recipients. We are part of this greater blessing. We're part of this latter glory in a real way. We should leave here today extremely, extremely in awe of the personal work of Jesus Christ because that's where it all happened. Let's pray and I'll close.